our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing our series on 1 Peter. And Peter begins with these words. The end of all things is near. Time is short. The clock is ticking on each and every one of you. And guess what? It never ticks backwards. The end of all things is near. The clock goes on, and the days get busier and busier, and your to-do list gets longer and longer, and you start the day with 10 things on your to-do list, and you work your tail off all day long, and you end the day with 12 things on your to-do list because of all the stuff people dumped on you. And the clock keeps ticking. And the stress mounts, and the pressures increase, and the clock keeps ticking. And you never seem to have enough time. It doesn't matter how early you get up or how late you work, the clock keeps ticking. Remember all those predictions? 60s and 70s. Some of you remember these. I actually remember some of these. That when technology gets better, you're going to have a 20-hour work week. Remember those ones? Now you have all the technology you ever wanted. And all it means is that your boss wants things done quicker. And they'll give you the, the little note. They'll pop in your office and say, Hey, you got a report done? I emailed you about it 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Some of you have gotten this one. Are you ready yet for that sales report? I texted you about it last night at 11 p.m. <laughs> and the clock keeps ticking. And you never have enough time. The Apostle Peter knows about that. He wrote about it in our text for today. Not the same way that you worry about it, but for him also the clock was ticking and time was short. It's a problem for Peter back in Romans 50 AD. The end of all things is near. See, for Peter, what he meant was the end of all things was near. That Jesus Christ was coming back someday and he was thinking and hoping soon. The end of all things is near. And 2,000 years later, we're like, well, Peter, I'm not sure if you're quite right there. But he was. He was for two reasons. Your end is always near. Every day that goes by is one day closer to your last day. And time never goes in reverse. My friends, the end of all things is near. And two, the New Testament authors always encourage people to live knowing that their lives have meaning and purpose, and that one day there will be a judgment day. So your life matters, and it matters how you live your life, and there will be a judgment. The end of all things is near. My friends, you're running out of time. You're short on time. And the one thing you need most, you can't get. Time. What are you going to do? Peter's answer for us today is very simple. See, Peter's answer is this. First, stop 
and then pray. Which is absolutely counterintuitive. Because when you have a to-do list that is mounting, the last thing you want to do is stop and pray. Because you got things you got to get done, baby. You got to work, right? And Peter says, stop. Martin Luther, he put it this way. He wrote this. I have so much to do today that I'll need to spend the first three hours in prayer. <laughs> the dude actually wrote that. <laughs> and from other eyewitnesses who wrote about Luther, they say, yeah, he would actually do that. And that's crazy. I have so much to do today, I'll have to spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, could Luther get more done if he didn't spend three hours in prayer? Absolutely. But could he get it done well? And for Luther, the answer is no. Because prayer was a part of who he was. It was his identity. It connected him to the most important thing that was in his life, which is his relationship with Jesus. And so could he get more done? Yeah. Could he do it well? No. Not for Luther. And so I'm not saying spend three hours in prayer. Because for some of you, you'd be like, if I could do three minutes... That would be good. So we're talking about spending three minutes in prayer. Because some of you are burnt out. You're tired. And the last thing you want me to do is to add more to your to-do list. Because you're now you're going like, great, now I have 11 things to do on my to-do list. Thank you so much. And I don't want to add to your to-do list. I don't. But some of you are burnt out. You're exhausted. You're not quite sure how you keep on going other than you know the fact that you have to keep on going. But you don't feel great about it. You're tired. Some of you have something worse. And that you work so hard, you got this self-righteousness built up because you're doing so much for so many other people and by golly, I wish they would appreciate you. Right? That's even worse. So we're talking about prayer today. Because some of you need it. Because you're tired and you're not sure where the energy is going to come for next. So we're talking about Calvin's rules for prayer. John Calvin was a theologian, a great theologian, and he has five rules for prayer. So here they are. Go ahead and write them down in your bulletin. Take notes on your phone if you want to. Five rules for prayer. Here it comes. Rule number one. The joyful fear of God. And that sounds like a contradiction. Joyful fear. Uh, but for Calvin, that was the number one place to start when praying. So I think the best way to explain it is like this. Have you ever had that, that opportunity where you're going somewhere? Maybe like a big fundraiser, maybe a party, something. And you're going to meet someone who is fairly well known and that you've admired for a long time. Maybe a famous athlete or author or a musician or speaker or whatever, right? Have, have, you, have, have you had that opportunity? I've had it once. Once. It was with Michael W. Smith. He was a Christian musician. I listened to his cassette tapes all the time growing up, right? It was awesome. I'm super excited to meet him. And then I'm at this, this fundraiser thing, and someone taps me on the shoulder, I look around, and it's Michael W. Smith. And 
most handsome man I've ever met in my entire life. I don't, I don't feel, I'm not ashamed saying that. Piercing blue eyes, six foot one. He reaches out his hand, he says, hi, I'm Michael. I'm like, dude, I know you're Michael. I have all your cassettes. <laughs> and I was so excited to meet him. I had all these questions I wanted to ask him. And the only thing that ran through my head was, don't be an idiot, right? Don't do anything stupid. So I'm like, hi, I'm, I'm Jason. And he walked away because I couldn't think of anything else to say, right? I was so impressed, so a little bit afraid, got a little starstruck there. When we approach God, we're approaching the creator of the universe who loves you. And the, the more you grow in the gospel, and the more you know that you've received God's incredible and undeserved grace, the more you grow in the joyful fear of God. So that's the first rule. The second rule is this, a spiritual humility. Calvin writes that it's a sense of dependence on God and a readiness to admit and confess all faults. What he's saying is this in, in our words today. He's saying when you pray, just be real. Just be real. Prayer is not a resume. I remember helping my son with his, his resume because he got, he got a job this summer. Because he's the man. So go to Dairy Queen in Glenwood Springs, order a blizzard, he'll make one nice for you, right? He's the man. So he's writing his resume up. I said, David, put down all your AP classes because you've taken a ton. He's like, Dad, that's, that's bragging. I did. It's the resume. You brag on the resume. You stretch that truth until it, it's still true. You're not lying. Don't lie. But yeah, you put everything down there. You can. Like, you've led groups of dozens. You know, if it was even like 13, that's more than one dozen, right? So that's dozens. Right? Whatever it is, just put it on the resume. Just brag. Prayer? It's not a resume, it's just being real. And being real before God is, is frightening and comforting. I mean, he knows you already. But to be real before God is to admit all your, your faults, your, your sins, those, those hang-ups, those, those, those self-righteousness, the pride, to put that all before God and say, Lord, wow, I've got issues, God. Because God can only help you in the areas that you're willing to confess. In the areas you're not willing to confess, God's like, you're, letting, you're keeping me out. I can't help you there. But once we confess those areas, God's able to start His incredible power working in your life. And it, it takes time sometimes, but He can start. But He can't start until we're ready to be real. So the second rule is spiritual humility. The third is this. Third and fourth, actually. It's a restful trust and a confident hope. There's a reason we end a lot of our prayers by saying, Thy will be done. And that's one of the hardest prayers to pray. Because what we want to pray is, My will be done. And sometimes we're taught that, that prayer is uh, some way to manipulate God. 
that if you pray the right way, God will answer your prayer. If you pray and you really believe, then God answers your prayer. Or if you pray and you have a certain amount of people praying with you and for you, like if you hit a certain number, then, then God answers your prayer. Like prayer is some sort of pyramid scheme. Right? Prayer doesn't work like that. It's a relationship with God the Father and you. And it's that restful trust of ending every prayer. That will be done. See, prayer is not a tool that we use to, to wield on God. But rather, prayer is an empty toolbox by where we receive every good and gracious gift that God would have for you, knowing that He will provide one way or another. It's a restful trust. And that breeds a confident hope. Confident hope that God hears and answers. I love what Tim Keller says about Calvin's rule number four here. He writes this. Ask with confidence and hope. Don't be afraid that you will ask for the wrong thing. Of course you will. God tempers the outcome with his incomprehensible wisdom. Cry, ask, and appeal. You'll get many answers. And finally, where you do not get an answer, or where the answer is not what you want, use prayer to enable you to rest in his will. So rule number three and four is a restful trust and confident hope. And rule number five is the most important. So if you don't remember anything else about today, remember rule number five. Rule number five is this. Forget all the rules. <laughs> Forget all the rules. Because prayer is a relationship with Jesus. And there's no rules. There's no right way of doing it other than receiving His grace. It's receiving His love, His forgiveness. It's admitting that you, that you need that forgiveness and resting in that forgiveness. It's forgetting all the rules. Prayer is not about rules, but about the sacrificial death of Jesus and His work on the cross and through the grave. Because that's the way a joyful fear, a humility, an honesty, a hope are only possible. For access to God is based not on what you've earned, but on what He's given. Freely. That prayer is that recentering your life on the work and the grace of Jesus over and over and over again. And then moving from prayer, Peter gives a short list of the results of prayer. He talks about love, hospitality, serving others, speaking truthfully, serving others with the strength God provides. And prayer develops the core to do good work, to serve. And this is why some of you are burnt out and exhausted. Because you're working hard, but without the core. How many of you like to exercise and lift weights and do that type of stuff? You can, I don't lift weights. You, can, you probably do that. But how many of you do, right? Right? And when you do that, the key is you've got to have a good core. Have you seen a guy in the gym who skips leg day? That, you know, he's looking good. But that guy 
it looks good in a picture, it looks good in the mirror, but if you need to remove a refrigerator, that guy's worthless. <laughs> He's got no core. None at all. And some of you are that guy. Because you're working hard and you're exhausted. Because you're working outside of your core. And prayer recenters your life on your core. <laughs> And that's your identity of who you are. It's what Jesus Christ has done for you. It confirms your identity as a beloved child of God, redeemed by a gracious Savior. It recenters you in Jesus' grace and connects you with the strength that God provides. And so I want to encourage you to pray, to stop, stop your busyness. Stop your to-do list and just pray. And I don't want to add anything to your schedule. So here's a tip. I went to the dentist a couple weeks ago. The dentist said, you're not brushing enough. I said, I brush twice a day. And she said, I know, I know, but you're not brushing enough. How long do you brush? I'm like, I don't know, about a minute. She says, should be brushing two minutes. I'm like, okay, I brush two minutes. So now I brush two minutes. I pray while I brush. You know, so it's like, I'll think about the day, what I gotta do, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, please help me do this well. Or help me give you time to do this. Lord Jesus, give me wisdom to do what I need to do, and wisdom to know what I don't need to do. So that's the harder part for me, right? Not doing what I don't really need to do. Lord Jesus, watch with my kids. Lord God, remind me of whose I am. Lord, take the stress of the day away and remind me that my value and worth doesn't rest from what I get done today, but whose I am in your eyes. Lord God, break down the walls of my sin and my selfishness. But do it gently, Lord, because I know if I pray that, you're going to do it. <laughs> you're going to do that. And then I'm done. I'm going to put my toothbrush away. Some of you have a drive. Commute. It's a great time to pray. Just turn the radio off for a little bit. Turn off the talk radio, the podcast, the news. And just pray for a little bit. It's not adding anything extra to your day. But what it does, it recenters your day. It recenters you. So that you can be who God has created you to be. In His strength. For His glory. And for your joy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, um, some of us here grew on prayers that we've memorized, and those are great prayers. Lord, they're often really good. Lord Jesus, some of us didn't grow up praying much, and so when we pray, we're not quite sure where to start. Lord Jesus, some of us grow up just saying prayers, like like throwing up road flares and up in the night. Lord God, um, thank you for this day. I ask, Lord, that you would um, bless me and my family this day, that you would keep us from all evil. And Lord, that when we walk into a room, your presence with us is so strong, evil flees. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends. 
pray, Lord, that they might know your love for them. I pray, Lord, that uh, you, they might have an encounter with you today. Lord Jesus, I, I pray for open eyes today, Lord, that I might see how you're messing with me. That when you present opportunities or, or struggles or um, hindrances, Lord, that I won't see them as burdens, but rather uh, chances to see where you're working. Because you're, you're often working in my life in the, the hindrances and the, the annoyances, Lord God. You're teaching me things, Lord. And help me to see them. Lord Jesus, you know I struggle with selfishness. I like things done my way, on my time. And Lord, that I uh, think of myself more than other people around me. So I, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, work on that in my life. Lord Jesus, um, thanks. Amen. Let's praise our God.